One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, thirty six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify. dot com slash work. Shopify. dot com slash work. Hi, I'm Anoush, and I'm Alpha. And on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, we discuss the spring statement, and you ask us, how did Labour respond? So we're speaking just after the Chancellor Rishi Sunak has delivered his spring statement. I was watching on the TV. Alva, I think you were watching in Parliament. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a bit about what the sort of immediate reaction was from being there on the front line? Before we start, apologies to you and the patient listeners. If it sounds like I'm underwater, which I know it sometimes does from here, it's just because um, I've just hearing the Rishi Sunak statement. I'm in Portcullis House and it is really quite busy, but this is the quietest corner I could find in Parliament. Um, so, um, yeah, sorry about the poor audio quality. So I, I actually feel like with these things, sometimes the, the immediate reaction is not necessarily a good gauge of how it's going to go. Because so often with like previous budgets, the sort of the big controversy doesn't really emerge until the following day when people have had time to look at it. And I think that's maybe especially the case with this, even though it wasn't a budget, it's a sort of smaller spring statement, just because essentially what Rishi Sunak announced was quite confusing, that the, there was this rhetoric of low tax. The thing was about tax cuts, basically. Apparently everything is a tax cut. All of the measures he's taking to support people with the cost of living crisis and soaring energy bills um, were framed in terms of tax cuts. But then there are political reasons for that, which we can, which we'll probably come on to. But then I think that's confusing because, especially in the case with the case of the increase in the national insurance threshold, that's what he's describing as a tax cut, but really to mitigate the worst damage for the tax increase that he's still implementing. And so that's a kind of like measure. And so I suppose the immediate chat afterwards being in the press gallery with, with lots of other journalists, people trying to square the various tax increases that are coming in with the tax cuts that he mentioned today and working out how they square off against each other and what really that means um, for people's people's actual earnings and so on and um, when you take the spin out of it and like and actually that when you do strip all of that away we're still looking at the highest tax burden of the past 70 years and um, so it really was I think really it's more the cognitive dissonance I feel like everyone in the lobby was trying to muddle through 
the different policies and what it would really mean if you stripped back the spin that had been put on it. And really, it is one of Rishi Sunak desperate to be seen as a low-tax Tory again, but not really being in a position where he can do that yet. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that is really interesting, isn't it? The way that whenever chancellors deliver budgets or spring statements like this, there's always a narrative that they want to make the headlines of the next day's front pages. And they discombobulate the sort of press corps for the afternoon after their announcement, hoping that people will be too confused and just run the line that they want to run, which is for Rishi Sunak, it's I am actually a tax cutting chancellor. But I think that rhetoric has already undone. You've got the Office for Budget Responsibility saying that he's only undone one sixth of the tax rises that he's previously announced since becoming chancellor. And like you said, we're still facing that biggest tax burden in 70 years. So I don't think that really worked. And then, as you say, it's just incredibly confusing. So raising the threshold at which people start paying national insurance doesn't undo the um, doesn't undo the rise in national insurance of 1.25%. That was the sort of controversial announcement to try and raise money to fund social care and the NHS backlog. It doesn't undo that. And of course, he froze the income tax thresholds as well, which was a tax rise by stealth. And so just taking 1p mm. off the basic rate of income tax, which he said is going to come in in, in 2024, is not going to undo that either. And so really what's happening is he's raising taxes, he's raising national insurance, which is a tax on workers, but cutting income tax, which is a tax on everyone. So even people who, you know, have an unearned income, landlords Mm. spring to mind. So it doesn't actually make very much sense. And for me, what was really striking in, in, in the spring statement was what was missing from it. We're facing probably the one of the historic impact on our living standards. I think the line from the OBR is that we are having the biggest drop in disposable income since records began, which were in the 1950s, the equivalent sort of records of this stuff. And there really wasn't much in there to help those who will be hit hardest by it, which is the poorest. He added 500,000 to the sort of household emergency funding that he allowed councils to give to people on a discretionary basis discretionary basis, which he announced last year. But he only really announced that fund last year to try and take the edge off the cut to the £20 a week uplift to universal credit. That's a little bit ironic because it's trying to undo the damage that that he decided to do. And also the problem with these discretionary payments from local authorities is that they're not part of universal credit. And universal credit is meant to be a very simple system where so everyone's income is calculated and everyone's benefits are rolled into one. But these extra little additional discretionary payments that you can apply for make it more complicated for claimants and also make it very difficult to administer for, for councils because they, they're they limited in their resources and it's difficult to administrate this stuff. And the eligibility for these kind of funds are quite murky. So it's not really the same as using the universal credit system, which is a much more efficient way of targeting help to those who need it most. So that was the only thing that really was announced to help people with absolutely terrifying increases in energy bills and other prices, shop prices. And I also thought it was quite interesting the way that he framed his statement. So he started by talking about children cowering in basements in Ukraine and said, mm. we need to, we, you know, 
we, we need to be able to have healthy public finances in order to help the situation in Ukraine, which is this framing that you've been hearing from a lot of ministers recently, which we spoke about on a previous discussion on the podcast about how the British public have to be prepared to sacrifice their living standards for the sake of sanctioning these oligarchs and trying to wean the West off Russian oil and gas and these kind of arguments. And I just think that Rishi Sunak is playing a very dangerous game. He's risking seeming really out of touch. I interviewed someone yesterday who's being hit really hard by this collapse in disposable income. And I asked her about the fact that the war had exacerbated the situation. And she said she had a lot of sympathy for for the people of Ukraine. But she said, that's a war in Ukraine. It's not a war in the UK. I don't see why that should have such an impact on whether or not I can buy my son a birthday present. Yeah, it's interesting because I suppose like that we talked we touched on this a little bit last time we spoke inertia that this this there's going to be a sort of contest of the framing or the, or the causes of this cost of living crisis because we did get that really starkly from Rishi Sunak at the beginning that this is the the spiraling living costs are the product of global trends and in particular the war in Ukraine as though this wasn't already coming down the track before. And yeah. and that's the framing that you get privately from I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I don't know if you if you can hear all the clattering around me, the PCH is quite noisy at the moment. But the that's the framing that you get privately as well. That people that you know, Team Rishi have been saying that they they've taken these, you know, really tough measures against Russia that have left the UK economy kind of uniquely exposed and that it's not like the pandemic where you had the furlough scheme, that there's very little that that they can really do, that it's just fundamentally different. And Labour would say that's a political choice, but that's mm. very much the, that that is the political choice that Rishi Sunak wants to make. How much control he, he would have over that in reality aside, he doesn't really want to be um, an interventionist chancellor anymore. He's really made that clear. And even though normally a spring statement would just be a kind of cursory update on OBR forecasts, and he wouldn't really be saying anything, even though he did feel forced to announce some measures to address the cost of living crisis, he still ultimately was announcing this end to his plans to be an interventionist chancellor that really he's he's desperate to be seen as a low-tax story. And even if that isn't the case, he's fiscally conservative in a different way, which really came through in what he was saying, that he's been terrified for ages about the, the spiralling cost of servicing the UK's debt, which is going up because of inflation. And sort of more than being a low-tax Tory, he really cares about being a fiscally conservative Tory and being a chancellor who can balance the books. And so he's really, by setting this this plan to cut income tax, really conveniently right before the next election, he, I suppose first and foremost, he's been pulling the rabbit out of the hat a bit early just to get some credit from Tory backbenchers who want to see him as a low-tax chancellor and to salvage some of his waning popularity among those crucial backbenchers. But it also means that he's given himself committed the Conservative Party to not spending very much in the in the coming years, which is really where he wants to be. And so that he's sort of setting himself up for the next election and trying to become the kind of Chancellor he's always wanted to be. 
but it just means in the coming years what impact is that going to have on ordinary people this was so much a, a statement catering to Tory MPs and their perception of him but you just wonder if this is a statement really aimed at them how that will how that will land in the country and then by extension how that will end up landing with Tory MPs as well that's so interesting because he really does have two audiences, doesn't he, in, in statements like these. And I think you're right. He was absolutely talking to that audience of Tory MPs. It's interesting that you said balancing the books and sort of his quest to be a fiscally conservative chancellor above all else. It really does feel like he's revealing his true ideology in terms of running the economy. He made himself the most popular Westminster politician with any name rec- recognition in the country after the announcements that he made when the pandemic hit, which were all completely against his own economic instincts, the things like the furlough scheme and other schemes that were trying to keep the economy on ice and people in their jobs while we were hit by this huge crisis. But he's undoing all that and he's going almost home to this position that feels very, to me, this idea of raising the threshold of national insurance. That's very much a sort of coalition era trick. They used to do that. They were incrementally raising the personal allowance for income tax, which kind of they painted as this thing is helping working people. But actually, when you see how these kind of tax cuts fall, they do benefit people closer to the middle and higher part of the income scale. And that will be the same for national insurance as well. Um, So I think, yeah, it's interesting that he's following that path of chancellorship when we're actually in a different political era these days. Boris Johnson promised very early on during the pandemic that austerity would absolutely not be the answer to our recovery. And politicians since Theresa May and Philip Hammond's time have been trying to say, this is the end of austerity. So The country is in a very different place at the moment than we were back in the days when George Osborne was chancellor. When people think of the economy, they think of their jobs and prices in shops rather than balancing the books in terms of the deficit and the debt. So it will be interesting to see what his other audience, i.e. the country, will make of this statement and its impact on their day-to-day lives. And like you say, whether or not that will eventually influence the way that Conservative MPs think of him. Hello, it's Alva here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. At the moment, you can subscribe from £1 a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to www.newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman World Review comes France Elects, a special podcast series exploring the main candidates and the big issues shaping the campaign to be France's next president. I'm Ido Vok, and over the next two months, I'll be joined by special guests to dissect incumbent Emmanuel Macron's record, his rivals to the right and left, and key issues such as foreign policy and the climate. Just search World Review on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now it's time for a section I like to call I Ask Alva. So, Alva, we've spoken <laughs> about Rishi Sunak and how his spring statement is landing. Um, but what about Rachel Reeves' mm. response and, and how Labour responds to a statement like this? What did you make of it? Full disclosure, because I had to write on Rishi's statement, I haven't watched Rachel Reeves' response yet. But I was speaking to her team afterwards and the people who work on economic policy for Keir Starm. I think that it's really it ties in perfectly neatly with what we were saying in part one which is it they I think they I suppose they see it as their job to cut through the bluster and the spin that Rishi Sunak put on this which is that he was referring every few minutes to something being a great tax cut and and the value the many billions of tax cuts that this would would um involved whereas the, the reality they're trying to repeat the top lines which you already mentioned Anush that for every six quid the chancellor has taken in tax since he became chancellor and um, he's giving back just one pound and that we're still facing the highest tax burden in 70 years yeah that there'll still be 24 billion pounds worth of tax rises this year and that we are you know facing this you know really serious cost of living crisis um, and I'm basically the biggest hit to household incomes on record. So I think it's interesting. We've talked a bit before about Labour trying to have a sense of humour. I'm not sure how much this will have come across in Rachel Reeves' actual response because it's a quite serious topic. But I think that Labour have been trying to pick up on a slight note of desperation in the Sunak response, that in particular the announcement of the cut to income tax ahead of the next election. We've basically been, everyone has known that Rishi Sunak hopes to do that before the next election. That is the worst kept secret in Westminster. But the really surprising thing is that he announced (laughs) it today, several years out, purely just to get a bit of kudos from backbenchers to shore up this low tax message that he really wanted to convey but he's not really in a position where he can be doing meaningful tax cuts at the moment even if he announced a smattering of a few quite insignificant ones today so he basically announced one of his big pre-election tax cuts now and 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 really labor as well as trying to make a more serious point about how this doesn't that that won't fundamentally alter the tax burden on people even when that comes in they're just trying to highlight the weakness of his position and you know I think that they've had a little bit of fun in the past kind of gently poking what they perceive to be Rishi Sunak's fragile ego and so just this idea that this was a desperate rabbit out of the hat years before he needed to do it just so that he could have something to say to Tory MPs I think that's the thing that they are running on as well as I suppose this just they haven't used this phrase, but I suppose this vague sense that the Chancellor is gaslighting people, that, that you can give this speech that talks about tax cuts when you're bringing in tax increases and really serious ones like, while we head into a cost of living crisis. So I think it's those two things. But again, 
I'm just really aware every time there's a fiscal event like this that often the big story doesn't emerge until the following day. So there were some quite big changes to how student loans are collected, for example, student loan repayments are collected, which no one has really gone into yet because it happened so quickly. No one has completely crunched the numbers. You touched on it there initially, but like no one's really crunched the numbers on how this will fall on working people, how this will fall on people on benefits, on pensioners. I think when those analyses come through and they'll be a bit starker, then Labour will find its other attack lines. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it's very difficult, isn't it, for the shadow chancellor or leader of the opposition in the case of when the budget is delivered to do that rapid, in-the-moment rebuttal when, as you say, it really does take time to crunch the numbers and work out where the weak points are and, and where the budget unravels, which often happens in the days and even weeks sometimes afterwards. And the narrative is often set by the chancellor in that in that sort of like mad panic to try and understand it in the next 24 hours. So I think I think Rachel Reeves did a really good job in those circumstances. But it's always this this kind of topic, although it should be Labour's strong point, I think it's been a real challenge for Labour in the past few years, since the Miliband era, to try and land blows in this area. I've written before about within the shadow cabinet, there's disagreements about whether or not even to use the phrase cost of living crisis, because some in the shadow cabinet argue that no one actually uses that phrase outside of Westminster, and it doesn't actually really relate to what's happening, which is prices are rising while your wages are are sort of stagnating. Or your benefits mm. are stagnating if you're if you're relying on benefits. So I think that sometimes you do get this sense that because it hasn't worked in the past, cost of living crisis was Ed Miliband's main phrase that he tried to use to campaign against David Cameron. There's this slight kind of squeamishness about talking about it. And there's a lot of you're raising taxes, which actually should the Labour Party be in a position where it's chastising the Chancellor for raising taxes when actually it would probably want to raise some taxes in order to pay for its whatever manifesto commitments it will come out with, for example. I know that they position themselves as the party of fair taxation, but when you're just slamming taxation, I'm not sure if that necessarily is the the best way to target its message if you are the Labour Party. And then I don't know if there's a slight, what's the word, a slight reluctance to go there when they've gone there before and haven't made as much political hay out of it out of it as they want. When really, like you say, that gas gaslighting, sort of the rhetoric versus the reality is just so clear to people. When you go to do your supermarket shop, it's going to be clear to you. Your taxes are going to go up despite these tax cuts. So it's going to be clear to you. And the measures that Rishi Sunak's announced to try and help us through this living standards crisis since October, cumulatively, they're only going to offset about a third of that fall in living standards, according to the OBR. So it is going to be pretty obvious to everyone who's not on a a massive income that that there is a gap between what he's saying and what's actually happening. So hopefully for Labour, from their perspective, it will be so clear to people that there is that gap that they will be able to exploit it. But so far, I've noticed a little bit of a reticence and a slight confusion about where they want their messaging to land. They don't say a huge amount about universal credit. A lot about, a lot of their suggestions for alternative policies are about windfall taxes. They seem a little bit squeamish about speaking about uprating benefits, for example. There's some holes there, and I don't know whether that's because they feel like they've been burned on this subject that they should be so brilliant at using in the past. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I think, yeah, it's, it's them grappling with a really fundamental question of opposition politics, which is whether you criticise 
your opponent on your opponent's terms or on your own terms. Because I think Labour has been very good at criticising Rishi Sunak on his own terms, that he's embarrassed that he's not a low-tax chancellor. Mm. His party isn't happy with him for not being a low-tax chancellor, and they keep punching that bruise and talking about how high tax burden is in reality. Yeah. But, but as you say, that does make it trickier for them because they are just reinforcing this argument that a high tax burden is inherently a burden on people and, and won't, you know, do helpful things mm-hmm. during a cost of living crisis to, to mitigate all sorts of other pressures. Yes, maybe it is more important to be punching that bruise at the moment because I think I'm hoping to get chatting to more Tory MPs today and tomorrow morning get a sense of whether it has washed with them. Certainly every time Rishi Sunak announced a tax cut in the chamber today, there was a big roar. But under the surface, I'm not really sure whether he's looking at still the reality of the taxes that their constituents will be paying, prices going up, whether they will think that this, and to probably like Labour amplifying that message and driving that wedge is quite helpful politically, even if it maybe doesn't serve them in the longer term. That's really interesting. Thanks so much, Alva, and for soldiering on through the division bells. We'll let you get back to Portcullis House. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shekelian, and my colleague, Alva Ray. We're produced by Adrian Bradley and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a nice review. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.